Tennessee beats Vanderbilt 28-10. to Talking about it on a little instant react podcast with Jesse Simonton and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubbs. Tennessee moves to 7-5 and on the season, bettering their bowl hopes, uh, one would think, although it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the league does and how all that shakes out. We'll jump to that in a minute. But, guys, the story of this 28-10 to uh, sloppy, wet, ugly game is the fact that a freshman, Eric Gray, who's really been non-existent uh, for the better part of this win streak Tennessee's been on, uh, leads Tennessee to a, a record-setting performance, passing Jamal Lewis for uh, the freshman mark for a single-season game in rushing. I don't think anybody saw Eric Gray coming tonight. What, what, did, what, what do you make of the freshman's performance? I mean, he hit the hole. He hit the hole and hit, you know, took it to the house twice with just gaping holes. But he showed his cutback ability. Matthew Butler said it after the game. He probably is the best, you know, cutback one cut runner on this team. But no, I mean, no, no one saw that coming. The fact, I mean, he had 40, 40 yards on twenty some odd carries since the Georgia game. So for him to explode uh, and get two fifty tonight on a night when Ty Chandler isn't really available. Um, on a night when Tennessee, frankly, did not play particularly well, you know, uh, offensively. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know, I mean, Garantano threw for 120, and 20 of those came on a schoolyard Brett Favre pitch to uh, Dominic, Dominic Wood Anderson, and 50 of them came on a quick slant to Jawan Jennings. He did most of the work. So, you know, but again, we, we had it. We said it in the two minute. The fact that Tennessee where this program is, where this team is, can play fairly uninspiring and win a game by 18 against an in-state rival that they've lost to by double digits the last three years. I think that shows legitimately how far this program has come, not only you know since Pruitt got here, but specifically within this season. Austin, it's a funny game. Football's a funny game. One week you're throwing for 400 and 400 plus yards, setting records. You got three receivers with 100 yards. Josh Palmer doesn't have a catch tonight, uh, and, and yet this team finds another way. As Jesse was talking about, what shows you more growth in this team? The fact that they can win an ugly game where they don't play well, or the fact that they can win in multiple capacities. There you whether go. It's throwing it, or whether it's running it. There you go. And it's not just winning it. You know, whether it's throwing it or running it, it's winning a high-scoring game. It's winning a low-scoring game. It's you know, did they, they, they scored 41 when they beat South Carolina. They, you know, scored in the teens, you know, against Kentucky. I mean, you know, they, they, they've just found a way. And, and you know, um, you know, it, it, this team's, you know, I, I think just the growth defensively is probably the biggest thing that I take away from the last seven games. You know, they, it looked like, you know, just – I won't say South Sincere because that's not correct, but I mean, it looked, you know, it looked very familiar to what you know we saw the last few years under Bob Shoup the first few weeks of the year. You know, they couldn't tackle big plays, you know, just you know, uh, taking bad angles, and then it's like all of a sudden, Jeremy says, well, you know, "We didn't take a peel," but I mean, like, it almost feels like they did. I mean, like, you know, they they've been so much better up front uh, on both lines of scrimmage, but specifically the defensive line. And, you know, I think Daniel Batuli having him healthy every game, uh, you know, through, you know, after week two, you know, it was huge for them. Um, and, and then Henry's continued to grow and, and Nigel has played the way he's played. And, and honestly, it's not just those guys. I mean, guys like Alante Taylor, you know, have really gotten better the last few weeks. I mean, Alante's a guy that, you know, was kind of, you know, setting the bench there for a good portion of the season and then has found a little bit of a footing in the last few weeks. I mean, 
you know, Kevin George has given them quality snaps. I mean, it's just been a total team effort uh, defensively and just on the whole team as, in general. Yeah, I mean, Alante was well, Alante was good tonight. I don't know. He didn't. He he hadn't sat the bench as much as I think it may have seen. He's been in the doghouse with the staff, but he still played more snaps at cornerback than anybody on this roster. But but he did play. He, he's playing faster. The he last is, few and weeks, he's playing sure. physical. And he was on. It was unfortunate that he did not get credit for just. You talk about a physical impressive play that forced fumble when he's getting his face mask ripped off and he punches it out and Tennessee isn't isn't the beneficiary because Matthew Butler also got his face mask now I mean just but that good quiet game from Alante yeah also brings up the point about the the, the defense I mean there's so much talk about you know Jared and, and Jawan and rightfully so look that those guys have been the story I mean Jawan's play the consistency he's had all year long the, the the roller coaster of the season that Jared's had we've talked about Trey Smith and some of the bigger stories has this defense has the defense's improvement on this team been a bit overlooked by, by fans because it's it, it feels like they've just kind of quietly gotten better each and every week have they been great have they been perfect no but they've limited big plays maybe they haven't forced as many turnovers but they've really been steady against the run during this stretch going back to that mississippi state game and they've become a very consistent defense yeah i mean i they're feisty yeah and, they and really i are. And, and i wouldn't even you know perhaps fans have overlooked them but i would say uh you know we at volquest have not i mean you you were the one that said on this very podcast uh, you know, just this past week, if someone had told you that Tennessee was going to allow fewer rushing yards than a year ago, you know, despite losing those three guys that are now in the NFL, we all you know, saw Shy Tuttle rumbling down the field on Thanksgiving. I mean, it, it's it speaks to the growth of the defensive line. We've written a lot about Nigel Warrior and just kind of his renaissance and ascension, you know, kind of out of nowhere um, in the second half of the season. Obviously, Tennessee has gotten major contributions from a freshman like Danny Batuli. Uh, and then just the steadiness of, uh, of, of Henry Toto, excuse me, and then just the steadiness of Danny Batuli. So how does this defense go from a defense who didn't look like they could line up? I mean, we all remember the Georgia State game. They got guys, two guys on the wrong side of the ball, it looks like. They go to Florida, the middle of the field's completely wide open. Nobody's defending anybody between the hash marks. How does this defense go from that to being the steady hand for, for Tennessee to, to get them to a bowl game. It took all parts. I don't want to say it's all on the defense, but they've been the more consistent unit the last six, seven weeks. How does it happen? Well, it's got. It's just. I think it's just like, I mean, it, it, this may be dumbing it down, but it's almost like in baseball. You, you're going to have a good defense. It's just straight up the middle. Your catcher, your shortstop, and your center fielder are all pretty damn good. And the fact that they got Batuli back, their interior guys from Aubrey Solomon, to a guy like Karat Garland, who had a couple big plays tonight, just got better as the season went along. And then Nigel, again, playing center field, him taking, you know, when, when, when they've been able to shore that up, that's allowed Pruitt to dial up all these corner blitzes, all these cat blitzes. Um, you know, each week somebody else on defense has kind of emerged to make a play tonight. Uh, you know, two freshmen recorded their first sack. We haven't seen Roman Harrison in weeks, and suddenly he's, you know, bending on an inside rush off the edge, getting a sack. Kravars Crouch got a sack. So I think it's the, it's the interior just defensive line, not necessarily an individual, but those guys, Batuli, Warrior, and then the, kind of the surrounding parts, I think, has made this unit a whole, on the whole, excuse me, a, uh, a formidable group. Austin, did, did, what was the, the, absence of Daniel Patuli early in the year 
maybe the significance of that not realized until the back half of the season when this team started playing well. That did some people kind of overlook how big of a loss Batuli was at the start of the year. I think I did for for this defense personally. Well, I I do. I mean, like I just think that the growth, man. I mean, like you know, the growth with with you know every player. I, not this is not knocking the previous staff, okay? But I, I'm not seeing this kind of development or lights come on for kids in a while. I mean, like, and I'm not talking about just one or two guys. It's multiple guys where, like, you know, they were, you know, I won't say left for dead, but they just kind of were, you know, people thought, okay, same old Nigel Warrior, same old Daniel Batuli, same old this, same old that, and 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 these guys have just gotten better and better and can you know continue to work and I mean. How can you not be impressed by this staff's development of guys? I mean, like, you know, what they've got out of these kids. I mean, Jeremy talks about the buy-in, but he's right. I mean, like, there has been a uh, – again, I won't say that the guys that left were cancers. I don't think that's accurate. But I do think when when you had those handful of guys leave and everybody looked around the room and said, anybody else? And everybody – no one else got up. I think that, you know, at that point, everybody just kind of gelled together. And, you know, they've – Found a way to win these 50-50 games, games that Tennessee's not won, you know, over the last five or six years, and they swept them. Yeah. I mean, who saw them sweeping them? I mean, you know, even you know anybody that in their right mind thought, yeah, they can still get back to a bowl after one and four. They thought they were going to have to beat this team tonight to get six, not win tonight to get seven. I mean, like they swept every one of those games, and you know, played right with Alabama there, and. Played them tough, uh, you know, an Alabama team that, you know, scored 48, you know, five points tonight against Auburn, a great Auburn defense. So, I mean, you know, Tennessee's program, Jeremy says they're coming and they're coming fast. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's accurate based off the fact you're going to lose some really key players on this team. But I do think that you can look at this program and see the tangible growth to think they're going to continue to go that direction. They're going to continue on their upward arc, you know, if they continue to get development the way they've got it. Couldn't, couldn't climb the ladder without stepping over the Vandys and, and South Carolinas and, and Missouri's first. And Tennessee did that this season. Yeah, where, where, where they go in 2020 uh, is going to be its own story. Progress is not linear. You know, it's going to be a challenge replacing, as we were saying, just how important Danny Batula and Nigel Warrior and these guys are. That's not to say Tennessee can't win eight or nine games, but I, I think it probably is too early for them at least next season to, to compete for an SEC East title. Uh, but I think Pruitt, you know, he had the comment tonight, you know, if you were here day one, um, you don't understand how far we've come. He's right. And, and But I think it is more nuanced than that. When you take it away, it's not that the, it's not that the cupboard was bare, because it wasn't. They don't have a lot of depth. But they clearly have some pretty darn talented players. And a guy like Trey Smith is going to go play in the NFL and Daryl Taylor and Danny. Tennessee's going to have their best showing, at, you know, at, at that draft in years this, this season. Um, but it was getting the buy-in, and it was truly, I think, getting a team full of guys, uh, young and old, who didn't really know how to win and teaching them how to win, where, again, on a night like tonight, they don't play that well, and they almost won by three touchdowns. Well, and, and, and they go 5-3 and three in league play. And, you know, I mean, it's – they, they, as Jesse said, you, you know, to beat Florida and all those teams, you know, you you've got to learn to beat the teams you've not been able to beat. And, and you know, the, the here's the key I think in all this. And Tennessee took advantage of it this year, even though they started you know 0 2 against Georgia State and BYU. They took advantage of the fact that they had Mississippi State on the schedule. Next year they get Arkansas. The following year they have Ole Miss. The year after that they start back in that 
run of A&M, LSU, and Auburn to go along with Alabama. So you've really got to take advantage of these next two years. Next year, though, you do have Oklahoma on the road to start the year, you know, or at the second game of the year. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, Tennessee needs to take advantage of the schedule, especially in league play, not having one of these other juggernaut teams like LSU and Auburn. You know, I know Tennessee beat Auburn last year, but I mean, like, you know, it's a but, different but team. Look, you're gonna, you'd rather have Mississippi State on your schedule. No you'd doubt. Have so you've got to take advantage of this three-year run. Well, and it's what Jesse, it's what Jesse said in maybe the most – Maybe the best thing on the, or the most accurate thing on the podcast to to to, to walk you got to crawl and for Tennessee crawling was was stopping a three game slide to Vanderbilt it, it was it was winning a game against Kentucky and I know they beat them the year before but going up there and finding a way it's beating the South Carolinas who you haven't been able to beat and haven't been able to find a way it's finding a way to win maybe an ugly game a shootout as Austin mentioned. It's on that particular day finding a way to win. That's that's the thing this program really hasn't been able to do. They've had their moments, okay, in 16, they found a way to beat Florida. They found the Hail Mary to beat Georgia. But they, they couldn't win the shootout at Texas A&M where they lost in overtime. They couldn't win an ugly game on the road at South Carolina. And that was well, the best and, team that Tennessee's and, had and, and, and in, you go in, back in to five that, years. That's A&M and Bama back-to-back weeks. You know, so two of those four really good teams in the West. And then when you lose those two, it leaves you with no wiggle room. So, you know, when you don't have that wiggle room, it just changes things in league play. So it's hard to get to Atlanta if you don't have a little wiggle room. And and Tennessee did not have wiggle room in 16 because of the tougher schedule. And then they did, I mean, I understand. They, they crapped their pants against South Carolina and Vanderbilt. But my point, though, is if you're playing one of those other lesser teams in the West, then you can afford one of those games. Not both, but one of those well, games. But the, but the I, I don't care what your schedule yeah. in the West is. When you beat Florida and Georgia in the same year, your ass better be in Atlanta. Yeah. Pardon my friend. Yeah. And all of that is irrelevant in the now. Right. In, in, in the sense that this team had to beat the other teams it hadn't been beating, regardless of who was on their schedule in the SEC West, from their own division. Right. And and that is what they've been able to do this season, and that is something that certainly Pruitt uh, and this staff hope to build upon. Well, and it's and it's something they certainly deserve credit for being able to do with this team this year. All right, as we wrap it up, bowl stuff. We we talked about it a little bit on on the podcast on Friday. Might have helped Tennessee more had Alabama beaten Auburn. They did not. Alabama's going to be in the group of six. They're not going to fall out. Somebody's asking on GQ. They're going to fall out of the group of six. No, they're still going to be a New Year's six team. They're going to be a New Year's six team. Florida. Beating the tar out of FSU, but now their best win. Well, their best win is a win over Auburn, which does look good. But are they going to get squeezed out? Honestly, I I said this. We were talking in the press box. um, Tennessee's best path to definitely playing in a bowl like the Outback Bowl is probably getting two SEC teams in the playoff which is going to require an upset in the SEC championship game. If that doesn't happen, then Florida may get squeezed out of the New Year's Six because then it's going to be Alabama and Georgia in the New Year's Six. Um, still an outside shot for the Gators, but I think they could get squeezed out in that scenario, which would mean the Outback and Citrus would probably get their pick of Florida and Auburn. So does Tennessee. Is Tennessee going to get – Tennessee hopefully then – uh, for our sake and and even Tennessee fans' sake, would not fall further than Jacksonville. I that would be that would be kind of my breakdown. But I mean, Nashville folks are here today. We know, you know. I, I talked to some people today, and and the biggest thing I heard was, 
is the number one thing that the league office listens to. And, you know, after the, after the Citrus Bowl, they're all the same. Nashville, yeah. Charlotte, Outback, Jacksonville, they're all the same. Um, but the biggest thing they listen to, they listen to the bowls. They, they, they listen to, you know, because at the end of the day, they want their bowls happy. And, you know, the fact that Kentucky was there two years ago, A&M was there last year, if, if what you said would happen and it was going to be Auburn and, and uh, Florida battling out for the Outback and the Citrus, um, then I, I do think that the, the Tax Star Bowl really covets Tennessee based off of the fact that it's a day after New Year's. It's harder to get fans to that one because of the travel and all that. And so they want a team that's going to show up. Um, and so and that'll be and, and that'll and, that'll be a big, and, and, and again honestly, they had those two teams the two teams they'd be competing with are Texas A and M or but, sorry but if you Texas say Kentucky, Kentucky was two years ago I mean that's it, it's in every other year I mean like Tennessee and these teams played in the Citrus every other year for you I mean like it's A and M's out of the conversation they're not the way they finish the season I mean I don't see them I mean they just laid down this week it it. If in that scenario, it would be between Tennessee and Kentucky. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to. It's hard to imagine it not being Tennessee because the Tennessee fan base would appear more excited. Although Kentucky did finish and to beat Louisville handily, and you know, the, Bowden's a good story and, and all those things. But you would think the Tennessee fan base would, would covet that trip more than more than the Kentucky fan base would covet it. But we'll see. Uh, I, I'm with you guys. I, I think it's hard to to imagine. Four teams being in the playoff in the New Year's Six from the SEC based on where everything's at right now. Not saying it won't happen, but that seems a little bit unrealistic. It, it would seem more like one playoff team and in, and in two um, New Year's Six teams, unless Georgia pulls off the upset and, and LSU doesn't fall out of the top four, and, and I don't know that that's a given either. So we'll yeah, see, I, see, I think no matter what, LSU goes in the next weekend knowing they got a spot. Win or lose. That Win or lose, that they, that, they, that they will fall no lower than four. And that if Georgia wins, it would be 2-3 Georgia-Clemson, Ohio State-LSU. Uh, Utah would be the team that would be get, that would get squeezed in that scenario. And in that scenario, Florida would make a New Year's Six game, which would then open up the potential for the Outback Bowl for, for, for the Vols. For, for, for Tennessee. So we'll see. That's all how it shakes out next week. For now, what we know is Tennessee's bowling, and Tennessee's done the best they can to help their stock by sweeping the month of November. They end a three-game slide with a win over Vanderbilt tonight, 28-10. to That's going to do it for this Instant React podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.